Welcome back to You Ask For It. If, it's, if you're new here with us, this is a podcast that Pastor Steve and myself record in which oftentimes we're asking or answering questions that you provide for us. But recently we've been walking through a series on the Apostles' Creed, and that's what we're going to pick up with again tonight. But let me start by saying this. A lot, of, a lot of church members, um, I'm not saying our church, but a lot of church members in general think their pastor works one day a week. You know, he works on Sunday and then he plays golf the other six days <laughs> or uh, just takes those other days off. But the truth is that that's not, you know, that's not true at all, that a good pastor is very busy caring for the people and doing, you know, doing ministry, assisting with the ministries in the church and then even preparing sermons and other teaching things. The reason I say that is because we could ask that same question about Jesus. What in the world is Jesus doing right now, right? Has he been on this long vacation since he resurrected from the dead? You know, is he just sitting up in heaven? What is happening? Well, we're going to ask that question tonight. What is Jesus doing right now? And it comes from a line in the Apostles' Creed that we are going to look at tonight. And it is this. The phrase that we're going to look at is, he ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. Good deal. I'm going to pull this closer to the older eyes. <laughs> okay. uh, there are Bible verses that point to both things that are stated in this. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. In Luke 24, 50, here's, the, here's Luke giving the description of how Jesus was taken up from them. Then he led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was carried up into heaven. Isn't that interesting that he was taken up right where they could see him go to heaven? And then being seated at the right hand of the Father, many passages on that. Let me just read you one, Ephesians 1.20. He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Now, it's interesting that none of the 11 disciples that remained were there when he rose from the dead. So not a one of the disciples saw him rise again. They heard the word from the women that came early, but nobody saw him rise. All 11 were there when he, rose, when he ascended to heaven. So that, doesn't that show something of the importance of this event when Jesus was ascended into heaven and seated at the right hand of the, of the, of the, of the, of the majesty of God? With this, with this phrase, I want to talk, we want to talk about a couple of things that this means. First of all, the ascension, or maybe that it proves, the ascension proves that we are not bound to this world. Think about what Jesus has done. He, we know that when his, in his resurrection that death had been defeated and we know this one day, for our sake too, gravity is going to be defeated. Amen. Sound away, trumpet. <laughs> oh, yeah. Think about this, what's very interesting. We get this picture of Jesus after his resurrection, and he spends time with his disciples, of him ascending into heaven. What does this also sound like that's going to be true for every believer? That one day when the trumpet cries, that we too will ascend to be with the Lord. And we see this actually in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds. So in some ways you could say that almost even, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, that the ascension is almost like a, 
a precursor or a foreshadowing of what's also going to be true for us. That's right. We're going to, we're going to join him in being taken up to heaven. Yes. For sure. Now, another thing that's very interesting to point out is that all of the phrases in the Apostles' Creed about Jesus up to this point are in the past tense. He was born. He suffered. He rose. And then the next statement that we're going to look at is in the future tense, that he will come again. But what I love is this phrase that we're looking at today is in the present tense. It speaks of what Jesus is doing at this very moment. And what's, what's he doing? He's seated at the right hand of God the Father. So that tells us we know exactly where he is. Let, let me tell you what I do in my quiet time sometimes. I'll, I'll settle my soul, and I use the Apostles' Creed quite a bit in just my own personal devotion, I'll start off and say, I believe in God the Father. And I, that, that right there changes everything because I do believe in God. And He is my Father and He is Almighty. But then when I start thinking about Jesus and the fact that He is seated right now, He's seated right now at the right hand of the Father, I, I can almost picture Jesus looking down on me from heaven. Because I know where he is right now. He's at the right hand of Father, mm. and his eyes are on me at this moment. We can see that when you look at Stephen's martyrdom. You remember as he was dying, uh, he prayed like Jesus did. Don't lay this charge to their account. And then he said, I see Jesus standing at mm. the right hand of God the Father. That's the only time he's pictured as standing. And I believe that Jesus was giving him a standing ovation for mm. his faithfulness and his martyrdom. Amen, amen. So then what did these truths that he ascended and that he's seating at the, seated at the right hand of God, what does that mean for Christians at this very moment? We could ask this question, so what? What does it matter? We've got five of them that we want to tell you. First of all, his being seated at the right hand of God means that our sins truly are forgiven. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 it says, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. See, the emphasis right here in Hebrews is this, that you don't sit down until you've finished your work. Mm-hmm. And then when the work is done, he sits. My wife's family grew up on the eastern side of North Carolina, down in tobacco country. Um, and we went, when we were living in Raleigh, we got to go down and see the old home place, is what they called it. And on this one road are all of these homes that family lives on with the big farmhouse at the end. And they, they would tell stories that what you would do, Sarah's grandfather, when he was a kid, is that you would work in the fields all day. They'd work all day, and then finally, you didn't get to go home and eat dinner until all of the work was done in the fields that day. And what happened at dinner? You took a seat. It's the same thing we kind of have pictured here, that Christ, our sins have been forgiven, and the way it's even proved to us is that Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Father. We know on the cross, Jesus proclaimed this, it is finished. Mm -hmm. These words, tetelestai, it's paid in full. And once again, how do we know that? Because he sits at the right hand of the Father. Acts 5, 31. It says, God exalted this man, being Jesus, to his right hand as ruler and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. So his being seated means that our sins are forgiven. Second of all, being seated at the right hand of God means Jesus is ruling our world at this very moment. He's ruling our world. What is one of the last things he tells his disciples? Well, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, he says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. 
Jesus says he's the one in control of all things right now. And, and the right hand was the place of power. Hmm. You know, it says he's seated at the right hand above all powers. We read that earlier yes. in a previous scripture. Um, I have, many of you might have heard of Brother Andrew. He wrote a great book called God's Smuggler. And, and he's in heaven now. But for years, in the 50s and 60s, he would load his little Volkswagen up with Bibles and smuggle them through the, into communist countries to, to give Bibles to Christians who didn't have them. Uh, I heard him in the 70s. His book had been published so he could no longer go into the communist countries of Eastern Europe. He was blocked there. But he was on the 700 Club. And Pat Robertson said, where have you been lately? He said, I just returned from Cuba. This is the 70s, the height of the Iron Curtain. And, and Pat Robertson said, how in the world did you get into Cuba? He said, well, because he, he said, that's behind the Iron Curtain. And uh, Brother Andrew said, you know, I got my Bible out and I went from cover to cover. I couldn't find the words Iron Curtain there. Hmm. I found that he said, all authority is, in, is given to me in heaven and on earth. He said, we have no doubt that he has complete authority in heaven. But he also said he has complete authority on earth. And then he added one other phrase, which doesn't apply to this. He said, I, found you, I have found you can go anywhere and preach as long as you're not worried about getting back. Mm. Wow. <laughs> All right. First yeah. um, Peter 3.22, he's gone into heaven, is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities. Now, let me give you one other analogy about this being at the right hand of God. Justin now is doing the major share of weddings. I've got two more left on my calendar at the moment, but he's the big, he's, he's the marrying guy. <laughs> uh, I've walked with a young couple that I'm doing their wedding next month. And I was saying, let me give you the secrets of the wedding ceremony. If we were in this sanctuary, uh, then there's a groom's side and a bride's side. This is the groom's side. That's the bride's side. And in a, in a divided sanctuary, the bride goes down the bride's side and leaves on the groom's side. Well, how did these two directions get picked? How can this be always where the groom stands and this is always? Because during the ceremony, basically, until they're pronounced, the, the groom and the bride are facing toward the preacher. They can face each other when they do the vows, but then they turn back and face toward the preacher. But it's only after the preacher says, I pronounce you husband and wife, you may kiss the bride. Short kisses, by the way, in the future. Anyway, short kisses uh, for wedding ceremonies. But uh, then they turn around all of a sudden for all the ceremony, the bride has been on the left side. But when they turn around for the first time now, the right is the place of honor. For the first time, the bride is on the right side. And she walks out on the right side of the husband because she now has the place of honor. One way you can remember that, men, is from the minute that y'all have been pronounced husband and wife, the wife is always right. So just keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. And so... Uh, Let me give you a couple other quick ones. Uh, the, third, um, the third way this... this matters for us right now is that because he is seated at the right hand of the Father, it means that he is now able to pour out the Holy Spirit on believers. In Acts chapter 2, verse 33, it says, Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. If you, if, if you read even the book of John, Jesus says this, that he is going to, the helper is going to come. He's prayed to the Holy, Holy Spirit, uh, the Father, that the Holy Spirit would come for us. And he even actually says that it was better for me to leave so the Holy Spirit can come to be present in you. Yeah. That's possible because he's at the right hand of the Father. In 
And fourth, what does this mean for us? What's good news for us? It means that he is praying for us right now. One of my favorite scriptures in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 says, therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him since he always lives to intercede for them. You know how special it is. I talked about this a couple weeks ago in a sermon, how special it is for Christians to be praying for other Christians. How incredible is it that it says that Jesus always lives to intercede for you right now at the right hand of the Father? Praise God for that. My father was, I've now become what he was. Uh, He would wake up at four o'clock in the morning and pray. And my kids were staying with them, well, some one weekend. And my daughter, Sarah, woke up and saw a light on in the den at four, and she thought something was wrong. And she went in, and on the den, there was a sofa there, and he was kneeling on the carpet and, and was facing the sofa. And the wall above the sofa was the family pictures. All of us were in there, all of the kids, grandkids, all of us were there. And so my daughter said, Granddad, what are you doing? He said, I get up every morning at 4 o'clock, I kneel here, and I pray. And I look through these pictures, and I pray for all of you. And my daughter said to me as an adult when she told me that story, she said, when my dad was still alive, she says, Dad, I know you may forget to pray for me. Mama may forget. She would never. Mama may forget to pray for me. But one thing I know, my granddaddy's prayed for me this morning. And you're never at a point where you're not being prayed for. Because Jesus is praying for you now. In fact, it's not just taking your requests and, and presenting them to the Father in Jesus' name. That's, that's some of it. Uh, but, but he's also pleading for us. I believe he's showing his wounds to the Father. When we confess our sins, he shows the wounds. Romans eight thirty four. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised, who is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. That's Romans eight thirty four. Later on, earlier in Romans 8, it talks about in our weaknesses, the Holy Spirit prays for us. And, and I feel so weak in my prayers, don't you? So I take my prayers and I present them to the Father. So many times people have the wrong idea of what it means to pray in Jesus' name. As if it's a magic spell. As long as I say in Jesus' name, he's got to give it to me. No, it simply means I'm praying on the basis of his worthiness, not mine. So many times when you hear people praying for friends, Lord, I pray for Deacon Jim right now because Deacon Jim is suffering. And oh, you know how faithful he's been. Been a good father and good husband. And oh, he's led so many people. Please, Lord, if anybody deserves a healing, it's Deacon Jim. You're praying in Deacon Jim's name then on the basis of his worthiness. But what we're to do is come and say, I've got no other claim than Jesus. In Jesus' name, I pray. I had a guy that I knew in ministry years ago. Uh, when Disney World first started, uh, pre, well, I'm not going to get into that rabbit, <laughs> when it was a different Disney World. But they also did it. Now it's one price, and you can go see everything. If you have $1,000, you can no, know whatever it is. Uh, but, but back then, you would pay the price, and they would give you a book full of tickets, and they would be A, B, C, and D tickets, and the A tickets were the good stuff, like what, looking at the president's. And the D tickets might be, you know, throwing some uh, hoops over bottles or something. Did you just call the Hall of Presidents the A ticket? Is that what you just no, said? No, that's what, it's, that's what it was. All right, okay. That's what so it was. That's where I go to just take a nap when I was at the uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to find out. I'm going in October with my kids, so I'm going to find out. I can't wait to see those pictures, Pastor Steve. Oh, yeah, honest, I so. bet you. <laughs> anyway, anyway I, 
there was this, this preacher friend of mine, he was, he had a young son and he brought his son to see Disney World. Somebody in Orlando had dropped this kid off, given him a book of tickets. So I'll pick you up tonight. I mean, that would be late sixties, 1970s, something like that. Would never do that today. But, uh, so his boy had made friends with him. Well, they were getting toward the end of the day and this little boy had run out of the good tickets and they still had one more big thing to go to. So his, Son came up to him and said, Johnny doesn't have a ticket. Could you go buy him an ticket? He looked at Johnny. He had a runny nose. The kid he'd never met before that day. <laughs> and he, he said, I, I would never have done for Johnny. But then I looked at my little boy and says, Daddy, Daddy, would you get him a ticket? And he did it in his son's name because his son presented that request to him. But there's one more thing that we're told about Jesus right now. What is he doing? He's preparing a place for us. You remember John 14. I go to prepare a place for you, and I'll come again and receive you to myself. Uh, the Greek actually says what the New translations say, in my Father's house are many rooms. It's not like I'll have a bigger mansion than you down the street. It's one big family house, and we go from room to room. It's a warm picture. Uh, I think of that. I'm going to prepare a room for you. I think of my wife when my kids were little. My wife is such a special person, but she had a, she made each one of their bedrooms special. Uh, Sarah at one time loved something called strawberry shortcake. You won't know what this is. It was I've a, actually heard of that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So she made Sarah's, Sarah's bedroom was a strawberry short, had a strawberry shortcake, a shortcake bed cover and uh, all kind. Of, my son, we were living in an Air Force base town. And he loved airplanes. So he had an airplane themed room and she, every room matched their personality. That's what Jesus is doing now. Mm. He's coming up with That's a good. Gerald Graves room. Mm. Can you imagine what that'll be? I don't know if it'll have Exxon symbols on it or what, but it'll, <laughs> <laughs> but it'll, it'll have something like that. Well. well, thank you so much for being with us tonight. I hope this has been encouraging for you as you just think about what it is that Jesus is doing for us right now as he sits at the right hand of the Father. We'll be back in two weeks as we enter into a, a very interesting one. You want to give him a little taste of what we're going in two weeks? He will come again. Yes, so we're going to be talking about some eschatology. So um, we'll have a lot of fun with that. Uh, but once again, thank you for joining us. Um, and we'll be back with you in a couple weeks. <laughs>